Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Tuesday, the 16th of November, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider that's a virtual privacy network, which allows you to go online, change your location, access things that you may be geo-blocked from. For example, if you're a UK expat, you might want to watch BBC iPlayer, ITV Hub, Sky Go, and not be able to. A Liberty Shield VPN will allow you to do that while also keeping your data safe. So check out libertyshield.com and use the code EPLPOD, E-P-L-P-O-D, to get 50% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do remember to check out both the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Right, folks. So, some more international games last night that I suppose we might as well have a a quick look back over. So, we'll start with Group C, where we had a big surprise. So, Switzerland beat Bulgaria 4-0. We expected Switzerland to beat Bulgaria. But we also expected Italy to beat Northern Ireland, and Italy failed to do so. A nil-nil draw at Windsor Park. Great result for Northern Ireland, and good value for the result. But that nil-nil draw means that Italy finished second in the group, and now they go into the playoffs as well. So the reigning European champions, who have been on an incredible run under Roberto Mancini for the last few years, do not qualify from their group. They may miss out on the World Cup. One of the true great countries in world football may miss out on the World Cup. Switzerland, though, huge congratulations to them. Well-deserved. To even keep pace with Italy and then be able to pip them right at the end is absolutely magnificent. But when you've got a four-time World Cup winner who are also a two-time and reigning European Championship winner. You do want them in the competition, so hopefully the Italians will see their way through. But again, huge congratulations goes to everybody connected to the Swiss the Swiss team. What a ma- magnificent performance to get through that group, unbeaten as well. Did not lose a single game, drew both games with Italy, and overcame Northern Ireland, Bulgaria, and Lithuania. So huge, huge props to them. I think they've done themselves very, very proud in their campaign thus far. Uh, moving on then, Group F, Denmark's unbeaten run, their perfect record comes to an end. They're beaten 2-0 by Scotland. Now, goals came from John Souther of, uh, of Hearts and Che Adams of Southampton, who does seem to have discovered a little bit of a goal-scoring knack since he decided he was Scottish. Uh, really happy for him, really happy for the Scots. Great win. Great win. Now, Denmark did rest some players. They weren't at 100% strength, but still a strong team. And absolutely nothing for Scotland to to take on that one. They deserved the win. They got the win. Israel beat the Faroe Islands 3-2. Uh, De Boer, Weissman and Peretz. With the goals, 
Vanthammer, who might have one of the best names in world football, and Olsen with the goals for the Faroe Islands. And then Austria with two from Arnautovic, one from Trimmel and one from Lubicic. Nikolescu, 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 I think that's how it's said, uh, with the goal for Moldova, a uh, consolation goal there. So that group ends with the Danes on top, Scotland second, through to the playoffs, Israel third, Austria go through to the playoffs as well, via the Nations League, and the Faroe Islands and Moldova bring up the bottom of that group. So, Look, again, you've got to give huge huge congrats to Scotland for getting to the playoffs. But Denmark, they had the group wrapped up before last night. Nine wins out of nine before last night. 30 goals scored, one conceded. They ripped through this qualifying group. And yeah, you can point to certain things and say, oh, it wasn't the strongest group in the world and this and that and all the rest. At the end of the day, they topped their group and they were damn near perfect in doing so. So I think you give them credit where it is due. Um, finally, then, we have, from last night, Group I. So England topped the group, uh, six points clear of Poland, who will go into the playoffs. In last night's games, Albania beat Andorra 1-0. Czechicki with the goal on 73. Hungary beat Poland 2-1. In Poland, great result for the Hungarians. Schaefer and Gazdag with the goals. Swiderski with the goal for Poland. And then England 10, San Marino 0. Just again, England 10, San Marino 0. Harry Maguire, an own goal by Fabry. Four from Harry Kane in a 15-minute spell, including two penalties. Uh, Emile Smith-Rowe with his first England goal. Tyron Mings. Tammy Abraham and Bakayo Saka. So two of Arsenal's great young talents there with the goals. Really impressive night for England. Kane moves on to 48 goals for England, which really is uh, an incredible record. Now, look, you can go through it and you can pick it apart and you can point to some of his failures in big games and you can point to, you know, being a bit of a flat-track bully and whatever else. But the bottom line is that Harry Kane has scored 48 goals in 67 games for England. Compare that to the record holder, Wayne Rooney, who is 53 in 120 games. So 53 more games to score five more goals. And Rooney was a better goal scorer for England than he was for United. He was inconsistent for United in front of goal. For England, he was generally fairly consistent. But again, And again, you could go through his record and pick it apart. You can go through pretty much any of their records, whether it's Rooney or Kane or Bobby Charlton or Lineker, maybe less Bobby Charlton, maybe less J- Jimmy Greaves. They played less games, obviously, back then, uh, less weaker teams, whatever you want to say. Um you know, Michael Owen, he was having a big old cry about it last night and how he's not a fan of international football now. He doesn't really watch it. It doesn't excite him outside of the the great tournaments and whatever else. But I want to just read you a thread. Now, this is because there was a lot of snobbery that came out of last night's game. All of it from the English side. All of it. And it really wound me up. So you've just won a game 10-0. Okay, you've just won a game of football 10-0. While at the same time, your opponents are dealing with the fact that they've just lost a game 10-0. And rather than say, you know, well played, whatever. You know, you gave it your all. You, you tried to have a bit of a go, whatever. You decide to punch down on these these nations why should we have to play these nations what do these games offer well first of all they offer harry kane the chance to score seven goals in two games so there's the first thing right playing albania and san marino offers harry kane the chance to score seven goals in two games the same harry kane who 
this season, I believe he's got 16 goals in all competitions. Uh, five of them in the Europa Conference League, two in the qualifiers against you know, a mid-table Portuguese team, three in the group stage against a team that I couldn't tell you their origin. Uh, he scored against the Wolves reserve and reserves in the League Cup. He got one goal against Hungary. Uh, I think he scored against somebody else. And he scored against Poland, right? So, And in the Premier League, he's got one goal. That came against Newcastle. So Newcastle, as we know, are awful. Poland aren't great shakes. They, like I say, they lost at home to the, um, the Hungarians last night. Harry Kane has one goal in international football this season against a team ranked in the top 40 which is Poland, who are ranked in the mid-20s. He has one goal in the Premier League, which is against arguably the worst team in the Premier League in Newcastle. But this gives him a chance to rebuild some of his confidence, find some form, and maybe take this back into his league season with Tottenham. That's what it gives you for starters. It also gives you the opportunity to play Emile Smith-Rowe, to play... Bakayo Saka, to get them caps, to get them opportunity, and for them to get their first goals. Saka had already scored, but Smith Rowe, his first goal. It gives you the opportunity to give Conor Gallagher uh, his first cap. It gives you the opportunity to give Aaron Ramsdale a cap and reward him for some good form in the Premier League. It gives you these things, these opportunities, to blood your team, to improve your team, to give players experience, and to give them experience of winning games. Because here's the issue. When England play good teams, they play like cowards. They park the bus, and then they hide behind it. And that's why, time after time, England fail when it comes to big moments. Because those are the games people think matters. They don't. These are the games that matter. These are the games where you figure out what you are as a team. Because... In these games, you can play your third or fourth string and still win. You can experiment tactically and still win. You can try new things and still win. That's why these games are important. These games allow you to build good habits, to develop patterns of play, automations for defenders to get to know each other, for midfield partnerships to develop, for front players to understand the movement and idiosyncrasies of their fellow front players. That's what these games give you. That's the purpose of these games. So don't stand in your ivory tower and punch down on a group of lads living their dream to play for their country just because they happen to play for a country who aren't very good, just because they happen to lose 10-0. Well, let's be fair. They don't lose every game 10-0. The odd time they lose 10-0. He didn't beat them 10-0 at Wembley. There's moments and spells in games where they can put it up to you. I remember England going to San Marino and going 1-0 behind. It's a long time ago, but I remember that happening. I want to read you a thread. It's from Andy Murray. Andy underscore Murray FFT. Former... uh, Pro, semi-pro footballer, now a 4-4-2, a former 4-4-2 staff writer, now a football writer. Uh, A thread loosely based on England in San Marino. Back in 2006, I was playing in the Spanish sixth tier, national north and south equivalent. One of my teammates was an Andorran international. He was a brilliant player, which just shows how good the elite really are. I'll never forget how proud he was when he used to come back from international duty, representing his country. No matter the scoreline, he loved playing for his people and trying to make them proud. Andorra were drawn in the same Euro 2008 qualifying group as England. He was so excited he'd be playing against Gerard, Lampard, etc. This is the highlight of my career. I remember him saying, we have as much right to represent our country as anyone else. He knew there was no chance of winning. He knew he'd spend 90 minutes chasing shadows. He didn't care. 
He was playing for his people, his flag and his country against the best in the world. How many of us can say that? I was so lucky to be born, born and Doran, he said the following week in training, still obviously buzzing. You try telling these San Marino players that this was worthless and a waste of time. They'll be savouring every second. They will be savouring every second. They will not care that they got beaten. Now, they will be a little bit embarrassed to get gotten beaten 10-0. But the bottom line is that this will have been a career highlight. There's a guy who plays for San Marino who, ha- who now has a Harry Kane jersey that he will cherish for the rest of his life. There's a guy with a Trent Alexander-Arnold jersey and he'll cherish that or a Phil Foden jersey and Emile Smith-Rowe jersey. And these guys will cherish that, the opportunity to share the field with some of the great players of now and tomorrow. They do have every right to represent their country because whether you like it or not, their country is worth every bit as much as yours. Their country matters as much to them as yours does to you and mine does to me. And the opportunity to represent your country in anything, whether it's professional football, rugby, tiddlywinks, I don't care what it is. The opportunity to represent your country is the greatest achievement that a sportsman can have. The greatest honour any athlete can have is to get the call from their country to go and represent them. If any of us got a call from our country to go and represent our country, we would jump at it. We'd jump at it. I couldn't run a marathon. If Ireland rang me and said, we need you to run the marathon in the Olympics, I'm there. I'll be dead after a mile and a half, but I'm there, lads. It's fine. Because that's what it is to have national pride. And England's, one of the countries that has more national pride than anyone else that I know, other than Americans who've got weird fetishes with flags. But England is a country of great national pride. And that's why it really bothers me when I see them punching down on other countries, on players who just want to play for their country, who view it as an honour to play against your country, against your footballers. Why would you look down on that? Why would you not take that as a source of great pride? That your national team who represent you are at such a level and have been for many years that when these smaller countries play them, they know they're going to get a pasting, but it's the highlight of their career. Some guy is going to tell his grandkids in... 20, 30, 40 years that he got absolutely rinsed by Harry Kane, by Trent, by Saka, by Smith-Rowe, by Foden. And that will be one of the most joyous moments of his career. Why would you want to take that away from him? And if we're going to start putting international teams in some weird tiered system, let's be under no illusion here. England will not be in the top tier. You've won one major international tournament and zero in the last 50 years. So you don't get in the cool room with Spain and Italy and Germany and Brazil and Portugal and Argentina. You're not in that group. You're in with the Czech Republic. They won a Euro, so you're in with them. That's who you can be in with, you know. Uruguay, they haven't won it. Won, to be fair, they've won something far more recently than England. They won a Copa America. They've also got two World Cups to your one. So, you know, maybe they're in with the cool kids and you're not. You've got a great team. They don't win anything. They haven't won anything in, in 55 years. So if we're going to put things in tiers... 
England are not going in the top tier. They're just not going in the top tier. It's as simple as that. England are going to be in the second tier. And rightly so. Because you haven't earned the right to be in the top tier based on winning. You haven't won enough. You've won nothing in 55 years. So we're not going to worry too much about England wanting tiers because when it comes down to it, and when you're not in the top tier, you'll start cribbing and crying because, you know, we've put you in the uncool room with the Czech Republic. And you're not in with Brazil and Spain and Germany and Italy. You're not in with them. You're in with the less cool countries. You know, Czechoslovakia, a country doesn't even exist anymore. They've won as many international trophies as you in the last 50 years. Oh, they've actually won more trophies in the last 50 years, but they've won as many international trophies as you. As of Russia, you can go in with Portugal. You can go with Portugal. Even though theirs was more recent, you can go with them. Um, we might put Denmark in with you and Greece and the Netherlands. So you can have the Netherlands and Portugal. You, you can be the big three in there. But, you know, Germany, Spain, Italy, France, Brazil, Argentina, they are in a different room. Uruguay going with them as well. You're a tier two team. So enjoy that. And stop punching down on people. Um, right, let's move on. Roberto Mancini off the back of Italy's disappointment uh, says he is totally confident that not only would his team win through the playoffs, that they could well go on to the World Cup and win the World Cup. And I don't think he's completely out of line either. Because they've been a little bit too laid back off the back of winning the Euros. And I do think that when push comes to shove, when they're at full strength, remember they were missing Spinozola, Verratti, Cellini and Immobile, four guaranteed starters against Northern Ireland. When push comes to shove and they've got full, a full strength team, I, I do think they're as good as pretty much anybody in, in international football. So you would expect them to get through. Um, right. I wasn't going to talk about this story at all, or I was going to try and avoid it as much as possible, but there has been a, a new development in the Benjamin Mendy or Benjamin Mendy case. Uh, he's been charged with two further counts of rape. So statement from, oh, it's an article in the BBC reads, uh, Benjamin Mendy has been charged with two further counts of rape. Mr. Mendy of Presbury has been summoned to appear at Stockport Magistrates Court on Wednesday. The 27-year-old footballer who remains in custody is now facing six counts of rape and one count of sexual assault. The charges relate to four complainants over the age of 16 and are alleged to have taken place between October 2020 and August 2021. Now, just bear in mind, he was initially arrested in January 2021. So some of this happened after he'd already been arrested. The France International's has played for last season's Premier League champions Manchester City since 2017 when he joined from Monaco for a reported £52 million. He was suspended by the club after being charged by police pending an investigation. Luis Saha Maturi, not to be confused with Luis Saha, formerly of Fulham, Manchester United and Everton, not him, a different guy, uh, was also charged with four counts of rape in relation to the alleged attacks between March 2021 and August 2020. So much of this taking place after the initial arrest was made. Um, both men are due to go on court, uh, go on trial on the 24th of January 2022. So I don't want to spend a whole lot of time because this story is obviously horrendous. I've seen a lot of people say, how can Manchester City not just release him from his contract? Why are they still employing him? He is suspended. He's suspended without pay. They cannot void his contract in case he is not guilty. If he is found guilty, he will have violated his, con his contract or broken the terms of his contract. And 
City will then cut him loose. But for now, City are kind of stuck. Um, it doesn't look good on them. And the fact that after he was arrested, after they became aware of what had happened last season, they continued to play him. That's not a good look either. So they've got some questions to answer. They've also got, look, there's some very questionable things going on with Man City at the moment in relation to events like this. Uh, if you're following the lawsuit that's been brought against them by the victims of the, what's the right word? He's, he's a paedophile. Barry Bennell is a paedophile, and Barry Bennell was working at Manchester City when he abused, he's working at a number of clubs and he abused young boys, but Manchester City was was one of the clubs he's working at, and some of his victims are now suing Manchester City, and they called him as a witness for their defence, which is disgusting. Um, so questionable things that Manchester City need to need to answer for. Uh, we will take a break there, folks. When we come back, we might have some look, uh, have a look at some bad football takes, and then we'll go from there. All right, see you in a minute. Right, folks, welcome back. So we're going to have a look at the old bad football takes from uh, terrible football takes at bad football takes, F-U-T-B-O-L, um, on the Twitter machine. So, uh, oh, Daffy Kelvin, I am Kelvin White. It is unacceptable to compare Salah to Hazard. What are these Liverpool fans high on? Take away the goals from Salah. He is just a regular bench warmer. Last season, when Liverpool was playing bad, he was nowhere to be found. Hazard can dribble, assist and score goals. So, if we... Let's have a look at that. So, from a dribbling point of view, yeah, okay. Eden Hazard's a great dribbler. Or at least, he was before his backside grew. Out of proportion with the rest of his body. The eight of numbers... For Salah since joining Liverpool, compared to Hazard's entire time at Chelsea, Salah has better creative numbers than Hazard does. So, Salah's more creative. If we look at goals for his career, Hazard has 166 goals in his career in 613 games. This is club only. If we add in internationals, it's another 33 goals in 116, um, 116 games. So 199 career goals for Salah, for, for Hazard rather, in 629, sorry, 729 senior games for, for the man himself. If we have a quick look at Salah. So for Liverpool alone, in four and a bit seasons, he has 140 goals. So he is only 66 goals short of Hazard's entire club career in four and a bit seasons. He may well get to that number by the end of this season. At his current rate, he will get to the to that number by the end of this season. Now, Hazard will score a couple more. So next season will be the season where... Salah passes Hazard. But Salah already has 214 club goals. So he's got more goals at club level than Hazard has at club and international level. If we add in the 45 he has for Egypt, you're looking at 259 goals. So 60 more than Hazard in 541 games. So in over 200 less games, 
Salah has 50 goals more in 200 less games, 200 plus less games. So there's no discussion here about who the better goal scorer is. It is Mohamed Salah by miles and miles and miles. And this idea that Salah is only good recently is nonsense. He was he was good in Egypt. He was good in Switzerland. He was excellent in Italy, and he's been great since joining Liverpool. He's just a great player. He's reached a level that Eden Hazard never saw. And Eden Hazard, lest we forget, uh, has multiple Premier League seasons with you know single-figure goal tallies, uh, including four in one season. Four. If Mo Salah scored four goals in a Premier League season, well, he'd retire. If he scored four in a Premier League month, you'd be concerned about him. Um, Salah, according to this fellow with the take, did nothing last year. Single-handedly carried Liverpool to, to top four. Carried them. No midfield, no defence. Didn't matter. Salah carried them. So, let's move on. Uh, Ball Diola, teacher of ball, right? This, this guaranteed to be a clown. The hair, makeup, big trousers, the lot, big shoes. Newcastle's takeover makes me feel sick. I can't lie. It's not about the money. It's about them. There's no way the Saudi prince should be allowed to invest in English football. Yeah. Yeah. A Manchester City fan completely has unchained himself from reality, is just floating in the ether, unaware of the irony of what he's saying. So I like, I'm not going to read that one because I like the guy involved. Uh, Leroy Ology, another Manchester City fan. So, so belt in for this one. There hasn't been a club that has had as many iconic shirt numbers like City. KDB 17. Okay. Fair enough. YT 42. Fair enough. DS 21. Yeah. Fine. SA 16. Didn't Aguero change shirt numbers at City? So are either of them really his iconic number? ORM 26. This man is trying to claim that Riyad Mahrez's jersey is iconic. LS19, Leroy Sane. Brilliant at his best. Two seasons, one of the best three or four players in the league. But iconic? PF47. This man thinks that Phil Foden is iconic. He's a child. Uh, Clinical Kai, always good for stupidity. How Kai Havertz hasn't been nominated for the Ballon d'Or is beyond me. Two goals and or assists in two European finals. I'm one of the best youngsters at the Euros. So no to the last part. Um, one goal or assist in the European final. And the other was in a preseason friendly. And that it would ignore the fact that he was largely trash for much of last season. Not real martial. I'd trade our 1999 CL trophy for Zidane as manager and a Pogba extension. So my assumption is this is a 14-year-old who wasn't alive for the 99 treble. So was happy to give away a trophy he didn't see his team win. Um, Juve Vic 6 is dedicated a thread to this. We're only going to read the first one. Mbappe is better than Messi at 22. I mean, there's just all kinds of no uh, attached to this one. This is a spectacularly bad take from this young gentleman. But suffice to say, it is nonsense. Lionel Messi at 22 was unquestionably the best player on the planet. I don't even... I, I love Mbappe, but he's not the best player on the planet right now. In the year Messi turned 22... He was lighting things up for Pep Guardiola's Barcelona, scoring in a Champions League final. Uh, he'd already won three La Liga titles. 
he was just different class, absolutely different class. So that's a dreadful take. So we'll place that one squarely in the bin. Uh, the Showtime Reds, uh, if Ballon d'Or is a, awarded for the best individual performances rather than club per- performances, then Bruno Fernando, Br- Bruno Fernandez, Ronaldo and Lewandowski are the only real contenders. So let's, let's take Cristiano and throw him into a bin because he has not been good at football in a couple of years now. He's good scoring goals. That's what he's good at. And he doesn't do anything else. So if he's not scoring for you, he's bringing absolutely nothing to your team. Bruno was really good for United his first 12 months at the club, even his first 18 months. The last six months of the season he joined, all of last season, this season he's not playing all that well. He's still putting up some numbers. He's not playing all that well. Uh, Daniel White. Kevin De Bruyne is higher than Neymar on the all-time list. Well, first of all, there's no such thing as the all-time list. However, I would say Kevin De Bruyne deserves more recognition than Neymar because Kevin De Bruyne has been the best or second best player in the Premier League for four years now and Neymar has spent his prime years hiding in France. And while Neymar does have a Champions League and De Bruyne doesn't, Neymar won it as the fourth or maybe fifth best player in one of the all-time great Barcelona teams with Suarez, with Messi, with Iniesta, with Busquets. Probably the fifth best player in that team. So I'm not giving him huge amounts of credit for that. De Bruyne has gotten to a final as the best player in the team. Uh, Don Draper... This France team would beat the brakes off Spain 08 2012. I can only assume Mr. Don Draper, a young tiller, young, at young tiller, one of those cool guys who puts in numbers where there should be letters, one of them. Uh, Spain 08 to 2012 would wipe the floor with every single international team at the moment. Especially the 2010 vintage, where Busquets had ascended into the team. You had Busquets and Alonso in midfield, and Xavi and Iniesta just ahead of them. And they never gave the ball away. You had David Silva, Cesc, David Villa, just this wonderful attacking football that nobody ever seemed to stop moving. And you had Puyol, and you had Piquet, and you had Ramos. Ramos at right back. Ramos was really good at right back. Never a great centre-back, really good at right-back. Uh, and you have Primark Casillas. That team wipes the floor with anybody walking around right now. Um, okay, this is a tier list. Best young player. Best Premier League wonder kid. So Ballon d'Or contender. Oh, this is dreadful. Um, <clears throat> okay, Foden, yeah, eventually he could get there. Greenwood, eventually. Sancho, maybe. Havertz, not a Chelsea. Mason Mount won't ever get to be a Ballon d'Or contender. Mason Mount will be the next level below that, but he doesn't, I don't think he, I don't think he projects as a world class player. Uh, top 10 players in the world. Um, Emile Smith Rowe and Bakayo Saka. Not sure they get that high. World class. So allegedly these are world class the third level for this gentleman, whoever he is. Or oh, the football terrace live, whatever that is. Uh something on YouTube, I think. Uh Trent and Reese James on the same level. Trent should be number one on this list. He is the best English player. Uh of these young players. He's the best English player under the age of well, whatever age Sterling is, from a day younger than him, Trent is the best English player. Uh, good to very good, Harvey Elliott, Callum hudson Adoy, Curtis Jones. Not too sure on Jones, but the other two fine. Average, uh, Brian Hill. So, you know, morons. Um, we'll move on. 
Oh, this is bad. Tactical Reds, uh, Mohamed Salah is 20 times the player Ronaldinho was. That's just not, not true at all. Um, this is one of the worst accounts on social media. No new thing. Apart from being in his prime and all, only thing Salah has over Gabriel Martinelli is comfort in and at tight space and angles. Angles, the only thing. This guy has the worst take. So he is one of these weird Pep Guardiola stands who by default is an Arsenal fan now because Arteta is Pep's boy. And if Arteta fails, it reflects badly on Pep in the mind of these weird people. Um, this is one of a couple of... He, he recently claimed that Arsenal were currently the best team on the planet and that in three years they're going to be the best team in the league. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay, Arteta saying what is not often said enough when it, talking about how Arsenal have never replaced Vieira and Arsenal agitator. There's loads of players across Europe that fit his profile, both Monaco CMs, Camara at Marseille, etc., etc. So French CMs then, not players who are anything like Zidane or Vieira rather. Because Chimeni's nothing like him. Kamara's nothing like him. Uh, I don't think you saw Vieira play. I really don't. This guy is great. Mike L-U-H-G. I'd rather have Brewster than Kane. But that's beside the point. Every single season has a Brewster in the CL because of UEFA rules and homegrown players. If that's how far you are scraping the barrel to try and prove me wrong, I'm not sure what he's talking about. He ends all his tweets with hope this helps. Uh, so limiting, limiting his own characters, which is probably why the tweet itself is, is a catastrophe, but I'd rather have Bruce than Kane is enough for me. Uh, imagine being worried about a Premier League away game could never be me. Um, don't jinx us, bro, replies his little friend. Our away run can't be jinxed, bro. Well, a few hours later, Leicester put United across their laps and spanked their backsides. That classic was brought to you by United Trey, uh, a truly gifted idiot. Uh, Bruno is just a Portuguese Alexis Sanchez. It's not a bad thing. Alexis Sanchez was unbelievable at Arsenal. Um, this is, this is good. Grace Robertson, Grace on football. I'm sorry, but Salah turns 30 this summer and you're locking into 80 million or so for his 30 to 34 year old seasons, after which he probably walks for free. Yeah. Someone asks, so would you offer him a new deal? I would not. You would not offer Mo Salah, currently the best player on the planet, a new contract. When that dreadful take came out, an old take by the same person resurfaced. If I were running Bayern, I'd seriously think about cashing in on Lewandowski. 30th of the 5th, 2018. So the end of the 17-18 season. Um, Robert Lewandowski, at the time, I believe, was 29 years of age. Uh, yes, he was about to turn 30 a couple months later. Since then, Lewandowski, three and a bit seasons, 40 and 47. 55 and 47, 48 and 40, 23 and 17 so far this season. I'd have considered cashing in. Genius. Absolute genius. Mohammed Butt, who I believe writes for Squawker. Uh, Zidane to replace Solskjaer, laughing my ass off. Zidane isn't much more tactically askew, sorry, astute than Solskjaer. And I don't see a Luka Modric or Casemiro in the United squad. So I wouldn't assume he'll be a success. Pogba should play better though. Here's the thing about Solskjaer. He was obviously not up for the job in winter 2020. And then United signed Bruno Fernandes. And that helped him fake an attacking structure. 
Yeah, well, the, the second part is correct. The first idea that Zidane isn't a better tactical manager than Oli is either deluded or just really disrespectful to Zidane. I'm not sure which it is. Uh, Modric and Casemiro and Cruz, to be fair, though he's not as key. Tony Cruz was the most important player in Zidane's Real Madrid, but according to this gentleman, he's number three in just in the midfield. Um, essentially did the same for Real Madrid, which wasn't a team with any real idea on how to play. Right, okay, let's just move on from that before I get upset. Um, Perth Bryan. I'm sorry, but what has Zidane got to do at Manchester United? I said he was the only name out there available. If I was a decision maker today and Oli got sacked, I'd give the job to Roy Keane. I can only assume this man is not a United fan, but I would love to see Roy Keane in charge of United. Imagine, imagine the crack. It'd be brilliant. It'd be absolutely brilliant. Uh, come on, you Spurs, Jordan 94. Um, Embarrassing how we celebrated that once the full-time whistle blew. It basically confirmed we wasn't going to find. So Spurs shared footage of uh, Lucas Moura scoring that unbelievable winning goal against Ajax. And this guy's complaining because winning that game meant you were losing the final to Liverpool. Um, Dean Henderson, I put Harry Maguire in the same category as Van Dijk. We'll just move on from that. We'll just move on from that. That's dreadful. Uh, V2 Ebby Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is better tactically than Sir Alex Ferguson ever was God Ellis Burner, so this is United Ellis again, the only accurate combined United Liverpool 11, so this is just tragic, Alisson, Delop Varane, Van Dijk Shaw, Fabinho Pogba, Salah Fernandez, Rashford and Ronaldo so 1-2 Three, four Liverpool players. Four Liverpool players. This is even better. Uh, Rake United. This is the United team that will start under Conte. So, you know, bad luck with that. He's got a back three of Varane, Lindelof and Maguire in front of De Gea. He's got Mason Greenwood at right wing back and Sancho at left wing back uh, with Bruno and Pogba as his midfield double pivot. So again, right to left across the midfield. Greenwood, Bruno, Pogba, Sancho. And then up top, he's got Cristiano on the right, Cavani through the middle, and Rashford on the left. I bet he's brilliant at FIFA. I'd say he's absolutely class at FIFA. Uh, Graham Souness on Mo Salah. I agree with Jurgen Klopp that Mo Salah has been the best player in the world. He is perhaps as greedy a player as I've seen all the top names of an element of that, but he's extremely selfish, uh, which was counteracted by uh, EPL Statman. Brilliant account. If you don't follow that one, well worth following. At EPL Statman. Really nice guy. Uh, Mohamed Salah has created more big chances than any other Premier League player this season. Six big chances created, four assists. So Mohamed Salah, not at all a greedy player. Uh, again, United Trey, uh, just a, a gift that keeps on giving. Uh, quote me, screenshot, save this tweet. Manchester United are ending Liverpool's unbeaten run today. Well, that went really well. Really, really well. Um, so, what have we got next? Unpopular opinion. Oh, God. Thomas Tuchel is better than Sir Alex Ferguson. We're just going to move on past that because these, these things just can't be real. Uh, the best player between Dembele and Mbappe, it's Dembele, says Serge Gnabry. Thank you for your input, Serge. Uh, watching other clubs compete for the Carabao Cup is so funny because I know Pep won't give that trophy up. That was just before Manchester City lost to West Ham. Uh, football Miguel. No one rates Salah outside of Liverpool fans. Torres was respected by the football world. This is that's great. Um, okay, this is an article in the Times that asks whether Mikel Antonio is better than Kareem Benzema or Harry Kane. Now, I love Antonio, but let's be real. He's he's great, 
for a team that might finish fourth. Karen Benzema has won four Champions Leagues, multiple league titles, and scores a ton more goals. He's also, you know, got a ton of caps for France. Kane will be England's record goal scorer probably within the next six months. Whenever the internationals are back, he'll break that record quite soon after that. It's amazing. Uh, Pierce Morgan, who, you know, you could just go through his timeline and everything's a bad take. But I'm calling it better save than Banks against Pele. Uh, this is the Aaron Ramsdale save from James Madison, which isn't even the best save we've seen this season. Um, <laughs> so someone posted up, what have we done to deserve this? It's pictures of Tuchel, Klopp, Pep, Conte and Oli. And Notorious underscore Mank replies, Oli is the third best manager here. You could take four of them out of the picture and Oli still wouldn't be the third best manager there. Um, I am absolutely appalled to see, oh, this is brilliant, Mike Parry, just a gammon bubbling all over the place. I'm absolutely appalled to see Everton striker Dominic Calvert-Lewin having a laugh and a shout on the Sky Sports show in the build-up to tonight's game of Wol- versus Wolves. Get out of the studio, Dominic, and get back into physiotherapy. What on earth are you thinking? I mean, the gammon is just amazing. Does he think that Calvert-Lewin is getting physiotherapy 24 hours a day? Like, he'd either be sitting at home or he'd be sitting in the studio. He might as well be in the studio doing a bit of punditry. So this this was a great one. This is from John Davies, and I remember seeing this one. So what do United do medium term? Go for Graham Potter as assistant to Ollie with a clear roadmap to take over in X number of years, subject to agreed KPIs being met. And before I get why would he leave Brighton, he manages Brighton, not Real Madrid. We are Manchester United Football Club. Well, right now, buddy, Brighton are a better run club and a better team than your lot are. Uh, number two, Graham Potter is substantially better than Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. And I'm really curious to know what agreed KPIs he would have to meet. Like, you know, time spent putting out cones, uh, you know, reducing the number of bibs that get lost over a period of time, you know, maybe over over a quarter. Would, would these be the KPIs that we'd be working from? Uh, this That's just dreadful. Um, from the Telegraph, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is in Fergie time. He should drop Cristiano for the Tottenham game. Okay, so this obviously looked a bad take after the Tottenham game where he had his only good performance in a United kit. But let's be fair, he should drop Cristiano. He really should drop him. Um, Alpha Nation. I slag him off of football. I don't care about that. Oh, here's go. Here's a, this guy. Media, media, Medio Central, I think is his name. Isco was better than Iniesta. Jesus wept. JR Center. Kai Havertz is a top five under 21 player in the world. His ceiling is higher than someone like Mbappe, solely due to the potential of his technical ability. Mbappe is better right now, but Havertz is going to be better. No, just let's move on. If this, these things hurt folks. They really do. They really do hurt. Uh, I hope we get Bayern in our CL group, says Ellis Berner. Because United Ellis got banned, so he's using Ellis Berner. Uh, United Trey, they wouldn't be able to handle us on the break. Pogba, Bruno, Rashford and Sancho, we beat them. Honestly think we beat them by a scary margin. I think we've seen that before. It is, it is impressively dreadful. Um... Catanacho era international break has started. A reminder that Jorginho in 2021 had one of the best individual seasons for a midfielder of all time. It's just not true. It just isn't true. This one's not a bad take, this next one. Prime Wayne Rooney wouldn't even be a top five striker in the league right now. 
I don't think that's a bad take, is it? Oh, well, probably it's got Kane, Lukaku. Yeah, to be fair, because City don't have a striker. Liverpool don't really have a striker. Yeah, to be fair, it is a bad take. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Uh, Neil Warnock's top five Premier League managers of all time. One is Wenger, two is Guardiola, three is Klopp, four is Ferguson, five is Mourinho. I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, to be totally honest. Wenger made more of an impact on the league than anyone else. Now, look, Ferguson should be a lot higher, obviously. Um, but I don't really see an issue with it. I'm certainly not having Wenger number one. Wenger impacted English football more than anyone else in the history of the game. Um, there is a chat here about how Jamie Vardy could be the best player ever of, I think it's Reddit, a Leicester Reddit, so that's awful. United Optimist. This just hit me. This just hit me. What is trying? What's stopping Oli from trying? Eric Ten Hag's Guardiola's or even a Madrid's Zidane style of play. We literally have the players for every system. You literally don't which is why you're awful. Um, yeah, Ben Boxack, you deserve this, I'm afraid. Klopp has a sh- slight shortage of attacking options. A situation that will be exacer- exacerbated as the AFCON rolls around. And that could give Nico Williams a chance in an advanced role. Liverpool could well discover their own Gareth Bale in the process. Folks. Step away from the glue. There is no need to make such ridiculous statements. None whatsoever. That's dreadful. Nico Williams as the, their own Gareth Bale. Lads, please. Right. We'll wrap up with the gossip and be done for today. Barcelona are working silently on a deal to lure Liverpool and Egypt forward Mohamed Salah to the new camp with new boss Xavi wanting the 26, 29 year old at all costs. Um, there is absolutely no chance that they could even begin to dream of signing him. They have no money and he would cost 150 million minimum. Barcelona are monitoring Cesar Aspilicueta's situation. At Chelsea, he's in the final eight months of his contract. Yeah, that's a Barca signing. Free. Free is what they can afford. And even at that, they probably can't afford him if he wants a signing on bonus. He'd probably have to waive that. The way Aguero did in order to play with Messi before they let Messi leave on a free because they'd stupidly allowed his contract to run out. And then couldn't afford to re-sign him because they no longer owned his registration. A genius riddle club. Genius riddle. Uh, Barca's bid to sign Raheem Sterling doesn't look easy because of their financial situation. I mean, I've been telling people this for two weeks now. Juventus are keen to offload Dejan Kulusevski and while a swap deal for Nicolas Pepe has been suggested, the Italian club prefer cash. If if Arsenal could pull that off, that would be a hell of a deal. And I like Pepe, but that would be a hell of a deal. He Kulusevski would fit in perfectly with that young core that they're building there. Um, Newcastle are keen on Arlen Chimeni. No, uh, who cares? He's not going to go to. He's not going to go to Newcastle when he's got Chelsea, Liverpool, City, Real Madrid, Paris Saint Germain, and Bayern Munich looking at him. Do you really think he's going to go to Newcastle? Aston Villa want to sign Rangers defender Nathan Patterson. Now, I said this yesterday. They're going to be linked to every single Rangers player. He's very good. He's a big, big talent. But they already have a really good right back at Villa. So unless they're planning to convert him or something, I don't know. But Or he could be, he'd be a good backup. But I, I don't think Gerrard's first signing is going to be a backup right back. Um, but he is he is very good. Nuno Espirito Santo is keen to make a quick return to management. And his agent is teeing up a move to France with Leon and Lille as possible destinations. Um, so obviously Lille lost Galtier in the summer. He went to Nice and they currently sit 12th in the league. Things aren't going well. Leon are currently 7th in the league under Peter Bose. Uh, again, things aren't going great. So, 
it's not outside the realms of possibility that either could make a change. I don't think Leon will this early because they're only four points out of third. So it's not that much of a drastic drop off. Uh, Leal's a bit concerning though. So yeah, maybe I wouldn't appoint him though if I was them. Uh, he needs a break. Go and take a year off. Go and, go and visit other coaches and learn some new things. Uh, Leeds, Wolves and Burnley are considering a move for John Swift in January. He's also in a long-term target of Sheffield United. He's a good player. I suggested him at some point last year, I think I suggested him as a potential signing for Crystal Palace as a box-to-box midfielder. And I stand by that. I think he'd be a good addition. Uh, not necessarily for them. They don't need him if they have Conor Gallagher, but I think he can play in the Premier League without doubt. AC Milan have joined Chelsea and Atletico Madrid in the pursuit of France under-21 forward Mohamed Ali Cho from Angers, 17-year-old. Uh, meant to be very talented, but I haven't seen him play. France striker Alex Lacazette and former England under-21 forward Eddie Nketiah are set to leave Arsenal when their contract expires. contracts expire. That's just really bad squad management. And I've been saying this for ages about Arteta and Edu. Their squad management has been atrocious. Crystal Palace and Borussia Mönchengladbach are interested in Nketiah, who's told Arsenal wants to leave. Go to Palace. Go to Palace. It's, re- it's a really exciting project for you to be part of. Or get your agent on to Brighton, because you'd score a ton of goals in that Brighton team. Newcastle hope the lure of first-team football will be enough to get them Jesse Lingard. Jesse Lingard would be a decent signing for them. Stefan de Vries has told friends he's interested in leaving Tottenham, leaving Inter Milan to join Tottenham. Um, yeah, it's from it's from Wayne Vesey, so we'll just call that what it is, made-up garbage. Um, Sevilla's French centre-back, Jules Koundé, says Chelsea's fatal build to sign him as an impact. He hasn't been playing particularly well this season, and... Um, it's clear his head got turned a little bit, but he'll get back. He'll get back to his best. Senegal midfielder Nampali's Mendy wants to leave Leicester, but says he has to be patient to get his wish. Uh, I'd imagine he's been told by the Brodge he has to be patient to get his wish. Never fully understood why he signed a new contract in 2020. He's had a contract, I think, at the end of next year or the year after. Could be 2023 that he's contracted until it is 2023. Um, he was their club record signing when they bought him for 13 million as a, as a Kante replacement. Um, he's, this is a sixth season. He's only really played in two of them. Spent one on loan, went back to Nice, played Nine games his first year, won the second year, was sent on loan. Then he played 32 games, then eight, then 29. Was he injured that middle season? Brendan Rodgers does seem to like him for whatever reason, but he's not playing him this season. Uh, Birmingham, Birmingham have offered a contract to George Hall, uh, who's 17 as they look to fend off interest from Leeds. Leeds obviously snapping up young players left and right. Juventus are expected to announce a contract extension with Paolo Dybala. It's fair play. Uh, Real Madrid want to extend Luka Modric's contract by a year, so it runs until 2023. I, I think I might pause on that one, to be totally honest. Napoli are working to extend the contract of Victor Asimian, who has been unbelievable this season. Into Miami coach Phil Neville has cut 10 players from his squad after missing out on the MLS playoffs. And his son, Harvey, is set to be promoted to the first team. So I would say this is mostly nonsense. Um, that, you know, first of all, Phil Neville doesn't decide who's on his squad. He's just the head coach. He's not the general manager. So he doesn't have any real personnel involvement. Uh, his son has been in their feeder club, um, largely because he's Harvey Neville and not really because he's a huge prospect. But Phil Neville's done a dreadful job at Inter Miami. 
Um, really, really poor. Only 12 wins from his 34 games. Really, really poor job thus far. So he'll be fortunate if he has a job next season. And if he does have a job next season, the only reason will be because he's Phil Neville and his close friends with David Beckham. They finished fourth from bottom in the Eastern Conference. Fourth from bottom in a, in a weak conference. 20th overall in MLS. That's, that's atrocious. That's absolutely atrocious stuff. Six game losing streak. Lost eight of their last ten games. Any other manager would get sacked for that. Dreadful. Right, folks, we're going to leave it at that. That is us for today. Thank you, as always, for listening. Sorry we're a little bit late out today, but just timing, things got in the way. We were late getting started. It is on me, but we'll be back at a normally scheduled time tomorrow. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.